Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, nothing snarky or faux-witty or bantery from me at the top of this episode. I just wanted to say how nice it was to see our buddy Steve Farhood on camera again during the Showtime broadcast of Sue Harrison last night, or Saturday night, I should say. It's uh, It's been too long. Yeah, definitely has. Uh, I, uh, I I share your uh, enthusiasm for the chance to see Steve. Just, just great to see him on my TV screen again. We hear his voice all the time, but I haven't seen that smiling face in a while. Uh, the, the surprise uh, was spoiled for me, unfortunately, by a press release about the broadcast that spelled out who was on the broadcast team. But I guess that means that, uh, you know, I got to be happy twice, once when reading the release and then again, seeing Steve Saturday night. And he was excellent on the broadcast, of course, still has his fastball. Um, you know, I, I'm so inspired by seeing my old friend Steve on TV and feeling a little nostalgic uh, that uh, sorry to break the news to you, Kieran, but uh, next week on the podcast, I'm bringing Detloff back in your place. You'll, you'll get your job back whenever the nostalgia wears off. Will I still get paid? <laughs> the, I don't make these decisions. Ah, well, in that case, hopefully, yes. <laughs> hopefully, yes, you get paid or 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 uh, hopefully, yes, you'll be brought back or I guess it all hopefully, yes, to all of it. it. It's all about the Benjamins, as I believe they say. Uh, sure. Uh, if I get I, paid and Detloff does the work, that's just my dream <laughs> podcast scenario. Right. Uh, or mm. you, you could not appear, Detloff, mm. and not get paid. Detloff could also not get paid, and I could get double the pay. What do you think of that idea? It's uh, a spectacularly stupid idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to say it. I was going to say if none of us got paid, then Brian Daly's ears would be perking up. <laughs> yes, we are not suggesting that at all. Let's let's quickly change the subject, in fact. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, look, speaking of members of Saturday Showtime broadcast team, this week on the podcast, we welcome back three-division former titleist Abner Mares to give his insights on a whole host of major upcoming fights on the schedule. Uh, also, I will test Eric with another round of the fight game, and he will give me my next top five challenge. And we'll discuss a certain all-the-marbles heavyweight fight that took a major step last week toward getting signed. Uh, but we start with the fight that Steve Abner, Brian Custer, and Jamel Charlo were calling on Saturday evening, the 154-pound showdown from Australia that saw rising stars Tim Zhu score the most meaningful victory yet of his pro career. Indeed, there were various thoughts on how his fight with Tony Harrison would go, uh, from the upset win for Harrison that you predicted, to the close decision win for Zoo that I predicted, to a late fade from Harrison that led to a stoppage. But in all of these scenarios, Harrison figured to box his way to a lead and, and require some sort of rally by Zoo. Instead, aside from the opening round, this was almost all Zoo all the way, until he dropped and stopped Harrison at 243 of the ninth round. The judges each found three rounds to give Harrison. I thought that was awfully generous. I gave him the opening round and nothing after that. Uh, Zoo rocked him into the ropes in the third round. Harrison jabbed effectively at times, but never got anything done with his power punches. Zoo walked him down and started pinning him on the ropes more and more. And in round nine, a series of right hands hurt Harrison. And the old seven consecutive right uppercut <laughs> combination set up the finish. Harrison went down. He did beat the count, but he wasn't steady enough for referee Dan Rex Tapdazan, and that was it. Uh, Zoo improves to 22-0 with 16 knockouts, while the veteran Harrison slips to 29-4-1. 
We'll spin it forward shortly with some talk about Zhu's chances against Charlo. But let's focus on this fight first. Kieran, how impressed were you with Zhu? Did you see significant improvement from the Terrell Gachet fight to this one? And any disappointment in Harrison that he was so reluctant to do more than jab? Um, first of all, yeah, I was definitely a little disappointed in Harrison, but I'm not sure how much of what he was doing was intentional and how much was forced upon him, both by Zoo's pressure and also, I, I don't know what you thought, but I, I thought that his legs just didn't seem to have any bounce in them. Like even mm. during those rounds when he did decide to show some lateral movement, he did so without any of the fluidity that we've come to expect from Tony Harrison. And I don't know, maybe at age 32 and with some tough fights behind him. This is one of those nights where he needed his body to do things that it was no longer able to do. Um, But a lot of that also was clearly down to Zoo, who clearly, among other things, hits very hard indeed. Um, He he does remind me of his old man in in some respects. You know, Kostya always had, you know, what we call heavy hands. He he seemed to be able to just cause damage and and have his opponents thinking twice without even necessarily talking into his punches. But... You know, Junior was definitely also putting real weight behind his shots. And and those punches kept Harrison in place much more than he would have liked uh, and surely also contributed to um, a reluctance on Tony's part to get involved in any real exchanges. Um, that said, I can actually see where those scorecards came from because I did think that in round seven and eight, I didn't give them to Harrison. But when they were fighting at close quarters, I did think he was doing better work in there than was necessarily apparent. And and I think perhaps depending on where the judges were sitting and what they were seeing, I could see that you could maybe sneak him around there. But the problem was every time I thought with those rounds, oh, Tony's actually getting some work in here. He's landing some nice two or three punch combinations. They were just bouncing off of Tim, Zoo, and Zoo would then respond with maybe one or two punches but that clearly carried so much more heft than anything that Harrison was firing at him. Yeah, yeah, look, I was very impressed with with Zhu. Um, I was especially impressed with how calm he was. Uh, He he had a plan. He knew what that plan was, and he stuck with it. He he slowly reeled Harrison in and then stepped it up a notch when he decided it was time to move in for the finish. Um, He didn't let any stage seem to second-guess himself or panic or shift gears, Uh, even when, when Harrison's jab was marking him up. You know, we, we talked last week about Zoo was betting on himself in taking this fight. And in a sense, he sort of bet on himself during it. He bet that he had the right plan and the ability to execute it. And he just went about it. Uh, he looked like he looked like a real fighter in there, like a real assassin of a boxer. Um, there are still things to be concerned about. Uh, it's perhaps the nature of the way he fights, but he still gets hit too much. Um, even in a widely losing effort, Harrison landed 38% of his power punches, and that's not going to cut it for Zoo at the top level for very long. But yeah, I, I saw improvement from his win over Gaucher. I, I, if nothing else, it was more, I think, a, a sense of the confidence and self-belief that he has in his ability to uh, take on these guys and just essentially wear them down and beat them up. Um, he knew what this meant. He knew the risk he was taking, mm-hmm. and he knew that this was his moment, and he went for it, and he took it. So, yeah, I was definitely impressed with Tim Zhu on, on Saturday night. Um, what about you? Anything to add on what we saw? And um, before we go into Zhu's future, how big of a setback is this for our friend Tony Harrison? Uh, it pains me to say this because I, I really like him, and, and he's had a very good career. 
But mm. um, I think the 2018 win over Jamel Charlo will go down as the outlier for Tony Harrison. Yeah. Every other time he's stepped up to that top level, he's gotten stopped. He's just not durable enough to win against A-level opponents, except that one night in 2018 when Tony pulled out that close decision win over Charlo. So now, look, he's far from done. Uh, he, he's probably the favorite against all but four or five guys in the 154-pound division. But I think his hopes of getting to the top are done with. So now it becomes a question of how much money can he make and how satisfying will it be to him to spend a few years on that next tier serving as a gatekeeper against younger fighters. A gatekeeper who will beat a lot of those fighters, mind you, but 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 a gatekeeper more so than a title threat. So... Mm. Yeah, it, it's a big setback. At age 32, he can still rebuild, but it's not like, say, Erickson Lubin trying to rebuild at age 27. Right. Harrison, you know, he, he's not done, I don't think. Far far from it. But yeah, I think that his time of being in the conversation for Top Dog is, is over based on what we saw in this fight. Um, as for the fight itself, I think the most impressive thing about Zoo was his counter-punching. Um, yes. And surely that helps explain why Harrison was reluctant to throw certain types of punches. Um, you were comparing uh, Tim Zhu to his dad. I, I saw a lot of the, the same stuff. Uh, just like his dad, the overhand right can strike at any time and do damage. He seems every bit the heavy-handed puncher his dad was. And he has deceptively good hand speed. Um, you know, cause mm. he, he stands up straight and, and he stalks. And, and you don't think he's going to be quick-fisted. But then he is, uh, and and his dad was kind of the same way. Um, I was extremely impressed with Zhu's calm. He carries himself like a veteran, even though he was the relatively inexperienced fighter in the ring on Saturday. He's a good body puncher. His jab is effective also when he uses it. Um, I have really little to criticize, except one thing you pointed out. He does not have great defense. Um, and the other thing, he was annoying me a bit with that What's my motherfucking name? Say my motherfucking name. That business. Um, I'm not sure who he felt so disrespected by, but uh, it, it seemed a little. Oh, do you? Yes, go into I, it. Yes. Well, he and um and Harrison sat down for like a, a face-off kind of thing on, on Australian TV, and right at the end, Tony trying to be nice, like he's just like who he is, right? Calls him Timothy, and and she so goes, "It's not my name." And he goes, well, you know, I call people Tim if I like really know him, but I don't know you. So I feel like I should be more respectful and call you Timothy. And he goes, it's not my name. It's not my name. It's not. And I wondered if that was ah, it. It's just yeah. interesting to get upset about. But, you know, I mean, he called the round he wanted to knock him out in. And now yes. he's doing what he's going through the whole Ali bag of tricks. <laughs> yes, I guess I guess he is. And now that you've uh, explained that to me now, now it makes sense. It's yeah, it probably was a pointed comment directly toward Tony Harrison. So, okay, I take back my criticism of that. It's He still could have said it just once instead of like three or four <laughs> times. But, but, uh, but yeah, okay, I, I retract that. And my only major criticism then is that his defense uh, needs to improve a bit. But yeah, as a fighter, especially offensively, he's completely legit. He is, speaking of, of his name, he is very far from just getting by on his dad's name. He, he is his own legit contender at this point. Um, all right, so, so we've teased it enough. Uh, the plan is for lineal champ Jermel Charlo to face Zoo once his hand is fully healed, probably this summer. If you had to make a pick right now, Kieran, who, who do you favor in that fight? And, and how much does the delay and Zoo getting this valuable experience against Harrison in the interim help Tim Zoo? 
Well, I will still favor Jamel Charlo. And yes, I know I picked Tony Harrison to beat Tim Zhu and he considerably exceeded my expectations. But I think Charlo is as good a boxer as Harrison. He hits harder than Harrison and he's got more dog in him. Um, you know, he's going to be there still when he gets hit and, and in the later rounds. Um, I don't think Zoo's going to be able to get away with these kind of defensive lapses that he's been showing um, against Charlo. But that said, um, especially after seeing him on, on Saturday night, uh, I think it's going to be closer than uh, I, I thought just a couple of days ago. He's definitely going to get his licks in. Charlo's in for a heck of a fight. Um, he puts together some wonderful combinations, Sue, to follow on to your point about being much more fast-handed than you would think, and, and especially with those combinations. Um, but, you know, on one level, that, that the one criticism that Harrison did have of him, and, and again, I, I was very impressed with him, Sue, of him being on one level kind of basic is, and he meant in terms of his movement, and I do think that's a slight, slight problem there that somebody like Charlo might be able to exploit. Um, that said, taking on a guy who many said he was crazy to take on and beating him pretty soundly and figuring out where somebody like that is vulnerable and figuring out where he himself is vulnerable and having the opportunity to correct those flaws before he meets Charlo, yeah, that's going to help him immensely, I think. I think, you know, you just, you can't really match that experience of going rounds with a, a top contender. And, and he did that and he's got that in his pocket now. I mean, that said, Charlo also has nine more rounds of Zoo to dissect and plan for. Right, right. Um, and you know he was doing that. And you know, even while he was commentating, he was making a lot of mental notes on Saturday night. But um, I guess I'll ask you the same question. If you were setting odds on Charlo Zoo, where would you set him and who would you pick? I mean, if I were the odds maker, you do still have to respect the veteran status of Charlo. No matter how impressed you were with Zoo here, you have to respect that he's a totally proven fighter. He's the lineal champ and is basically in his physical prime. So so I think he's got to be favored. You know, if, if you were to make Charlo the underdog, I think you'll end up getting lopsided betting action on Charlo. Um, but it is close. I don't think there can be a big favorite in this fight. I think something like minus 160 on Charlo, plus 130 on Zoo, something like that would be my guess as to what the odds will look like when they come out. Uh, no doubt this fight against Harrison made Zoo more ready for Charlo and, and closed those odds. I mean, how, how could you see this and not come away thinking Tim Zoo has at least a pretty good chance of beating Charlo? Whereas prior to this, I could see thinking, oh, Tim Zoo's not ready for him. He's going to yep. get blown out. Um, if those were, in fact, the odds, minus 160 plus 130, I would probably bet Tim Zoo. Um, <laughs> I feel like any slight plus money is a good deal on him. I mean, Charlo went roughly even in his first fights with Tony Harrison and Brian Castaño. It's possible Tim Zoo is, in fact, more dangerous than either of those guys were. So if forced to make a pick right now, we're going to have Charlo coming off a long layoff. Yeah, you know, I, I probably lean ever so slightly toward picking a zoo victory over Charlo. Certainly a lot of it depends on where the fight is. Um, if it's in Australia, even more reason to pick Tim Zoo, although I might not get such a nice betting price on him if it's in Australia. Um, anyway, wherever it is, I am fired up for this fight. Zoo facing Harrison did wonders for increasing the hypeability of this one. Yeah. And that's what we were saying last week, isn't it? It's all about yep. you want fighters to take that bet on themselves. And he did. Mm -hmm. And it paid off. So, And judging by uh, Jamel's reaction when he was asked that by uh, by uh, Steve in the studio, mm -hmm. it's not going to be in Australia. 
<laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but you know where uh, people go where the money, money is. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So can't totally uh, write off that possibility. Um, before we move on to the next segment, I should note quickly that I have reclaimed the lead in our picks contest, 22 to 21, by picking up a single point for having the correct winner, but the wrong method of victory. Uh, so you're trailing again, Kieran. You, you, you may as well just throw in the towel now. <laughs> it was very evident to me by about round three or four. I thought, well, whatever happens, I'm not going to get maximum points from this. There's no <laughs> way Tony Harris, Tony Harris might win, but it's not going right. to be by points. So, yeah. yeah. You, although the judges did have it, did have it close, and 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 as you said, there you can see how they found rounds to give him. I just wasn't quite giving him those yeah. rounds. So, uh, all right. So we have a, a rare week ahead of us with no major fights on Showtime or on any other network, but there are a few notable, not so major fights, and um, most of them make me feel icky to one degree <laughs> or another. Uh, on Thursday in Quebec on ESPN Plus, former light heavyweight champ Jean Pascal. Now 40 years old, but a winner of three straight takes on Michael Eifert. On Saturday, uh, we talked about this one when it was announced. The DAZN card from California is headlined by Gilberto Zerto Ramirez versus Gabriel Rosado, while Jojo Diaz meets Mercedo Hesta in the co-feature. And also on Saturday, from Dubai, Jarrell Big Baby Miller is scheduled to take on 43-year-old Lucas Brown and... I hated reading almost every word of that <laughs> sentence. Uh, Kieran, you don't have to spend long on this. You can just say no and pass and get onto the news. But uh, is there anything at all you're looking forward to here? Uh, looking forward to not necessarily. I, I mean, I, I'm perfectly fine with Diaz versus Hester. Um, yeah. You know, Hester's a little long in the tooth now, but Jojo needs to get back in the win column uh, after back-to-back losses. Um even at 40, Pascal, who it should be noted, has failed a drug test or two mm-hmm. um, himself, should be able to get past Eifert. He's 11-1 and one with just four KOs, Eifert. And he looks like he's about 12. <laughs> um, and, yeah, we've already discussed our feelings about Zerdo versus Rosado. I'm, I'm not excited by that. And we'll just skip past the other one, I think. A, a smart decision there. Yeah, that might be our, that might have been our easiest preview segment ever. There you go. <laughs> yes. We'll we'll save the difficult ones for Detloff when he comes in. Next right. Week. That's a, that's a uh, smart strategy. There's also I will know a, a small fight card in Boston on Thursday night, airing on UFC Fight Pass, and headlined by undefeated Irish prospect Callum Walsh, who's trained by Freddie Roach. Uh, mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm mentioning that is it's just down the road for me, so I'll be there. And all being well, I'll bring back some interviews that we can use on the podcast, hopefully. So fingers crossed there. Excellent. Uh, on to our news main event. And here's a fight the entire boxing world is, in fact, looking forward to. Dan Raphael of ESPN. <laughs> that guy, yeah. Yeah, that guy reported over the weekend that a, quote, tentative deal has been reached for the undisputed heavyweight title fight between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. And while for most fights, having a deal agreed to, but no contracts and no date would probably cause us to stop short of making it the news main event. For Fury Usyk, the mere news that the fight is close is a huge story. One of the alphabet groups imposed a deadline on Usyk to either make a Fury fight or have his mandatory defense against Daniel Dubois enforced. And that alphabet group informed Dan that the Usyk and Fury camp said a deal had been reached, though the contracts still need to be worked out, and that Usyk had accepted the short end of a 70-30 per split. There's been talk all along of an April 29th date. Um, that's now unlikely. I saw Fury post a video of him running along saying that it was going to be a short camp, but he didn't care, but we'll see. Um, it, it could land in June. The site is still undetermined. It would, however, be ESPN pay-per-view in the United States. Uh, Eric, 
how confident are you that we'll now see Fury Usyk? And what do you think of that first split? You know, if it was a guy with Usyk's personality against another guy with Usyk's personality, I'd say I'm 99.9% confident it's happening. But uh, Tyson Fury is always a wild card. Not even he knows what he's thinking or how he's feeling half the time, especially he doesn't know how he'll be feeling in a week or a month. So plenty of space here, unfortunately, for him to reverse course. I'd say I'm like 85% confident this fight will happen in the spring or summer. I'm just not sure I can go much higher than that with Tyson Fury involved. Um, As for the purse split, I actually think it's fair. Um, Usyk's a great fighter. But Fury is at least double the attraction he is. He'll carry the bulk of the promotion. You know, like you could replace Usyk with Joe Blow and Fury versus Joe Blow is still a big event. Mm. You can't replace Fury. Usyk versus Joe Blow is just a fight for the hardcores, really. Um, so to me, 70-30 is fair. Um, but but not every fighter accepts being the 30. And so credit to Usyk. Uh, it speaks to his seriousness in wanting this fight the toughest fight he could possibly take against a guy some six inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than him. 70-30 insistence by Fury could have opened the door for Usyk to walk away from negotiations, but clearly he wants this challenge. So uh, so full credit to him. This is a fight boxing needs, um, maybe even more so than Crawford Spence. This is the heavyweight division after yeah. all, and uh, all other dominoes in the division can fall into place after this. You know, these, these are the two guys at the top who need to fight everyone else can and should get on with other business in the meantime and, and jockey for position toward challenging the Fury Usyk winner. Um, and especially after Crawford Spence didn't happen in 2022, boxing as a sport couldn't easily afford Fury and Usyk screwing this up. Um, so I'm thrilled that it appears they did not. Um, I have no idea if mainstream media will recognize it, but Boxing is having a hell of a 2023 so far and is now set up to continue having a big year. Uh, Plenty to cover in our news undercard this week, starting with the big fight that we know is a done deal for April 22nd. Uh, Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia held press conferences in New York and L.A., complete with tense showdowns, late arrivals by Tank, and the reveal of a rehydration clause. Both fighters will have to weigh in at 136 or below on the day before the fight and then not be above 146 on the day of the fight. The aforementioned Dan Raphael of ESPN reported that one of the undercard slots for the pay-per-view will go to undefeated golden boy lightweight William Zapata. Uh, We noted last week that this was possible. Now it's official. May 20th, women's lightweight champ Katie Taylor will move up one weight division and take on Chantel Cameron at three arena in Dublin for the undisputed 140 pound title. For those who care about the alphabet belts, Gennady Golovkin has vacated a strap for the second time in a little over a month, seemingly because there wasn't much money in the mandatory defense the sanctioning body wanted him to make. So Triple G is now without any major middleweight belts. In other veteran middleweight news, following up on last week's post-fight coverage, Jared Hurd reportedly needed 30 stitches to close that nasty gash on his lip. 154-pound prospect Xander Zayas was scheduled to fight in an ESPN co-feature in Tulsa, Oklahoma on April 1st, but he's suffered a hand injury and is off the card. Jake Paul and Floyd Mayweather had an encounter after a Miami Heat basketball game on Wednesday, but... Not much really happened. Paul walked away before it could approach altercation status. So that may well be the extent of what we need to say about that. Uh, And lastly, 
both some feel-good news and some sad news. Uh, the positive news is that former featherweight titleist Billy Dibb is now cancer-free a few months after beginning chemotherapy to combat a rare form of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. The fight is never fully over, of course, but, uh, but that's great news for now. The sad news, we said goodbye this week to Hall of Fame matchmaker, manager, publicist, and executive Bobby Goodman, best known for his many years working for Don King Productions and for Madison Square Garden. Goodman was 83 and was the son of a Hall of Famer, publicist Murray Goodman. He's survived by four children and nine grandchildren. I knew Bobby a bit, but it had probably been at least 15 years since I'd last spoken to him, but uh, certainly condolences to his friends and family. Kieran, what would you like to comment on here? Uh, yeah, look, sad to hear about Bobby Goodman, who, you know, while not so active in recent years, um, has been a fixture in the fight game for such a long time and uh, generation, generationally as well, as you mentioned. Um, very happy, however, to hear the news about Billy Dibb. I mean, even now, our ability to defeat cancer remains uncertain. It must be a terrifying feeling knowing you have that thing inside of you that's trying to kill you. So um, all the very best to him. Uh, we talked about Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron as a possibility last week. And I just I just goes to add to what you were saying about what an amazing star boxing is off to in 2023. And full credit, uh, as we mentioned last week, to Katie Taylor, who could have easily taken a relatively uh, low-key fight waiting for Amanda Serrano to heal. Uh, but that's just not her nature. That's not who she is. This is a very dangerous fight for Katie Taylor. Um, and uh, yeah, ter- terrific that, that they're doing this. Um, we talked briefly either last week or a couple of weeks ago about Golovkin and what he's going to do now. And so that's both his middleweight strap surrendered because he couldn't get the money he wanted for the mandatory matchups. Right. I wonder what matchups are out there now that could earn him the money that he wants at this point. I, I just, I don't know. I don't blame him if he's only looking for matchups that will get him money. I mean, quite right. Um, right. But I just don't know what's out there for him. That's both lucrative and winnable right now. So... I'm not quite sure what the future holds for Gennady. Um, but two folks who certainly do have plenty still to fight for are Davis and Garcia. And I thought that was an entertaining pair of kickoff pressers, mm-hmm. um, particularly the one in L.A. Uh, they showed their very different personalities. And I suspect that each man's personality really kind of irritates the other one. <laughs> I just have that feeling there. Um I'm pretty sure that Garcia won the best dressed contest, at least in New York. But that... <laughs> yeah. Maybe just because I personally can't pull off tanks, fur coat, calf length, shorts combo. But um, it was more of a tie in L.A., though, I thought. Uh, look, it felt like a good big time fight kickoff announcement. It was hype, but it felt real at the same time. Um, it's not going to get me any more excited than I already am, but that's because I'm already super excited. But um, for folks who didn't know about it, uh, hopefully it will really get them going. I thought that was just a really nice job all around, actually. Yep, yep. I, I perfectly said that there, there isn't really room to get any more hyped for this fight than we already are. But to the extent that these press conferences could get you a fraction of a percentage more hyped, I think I think they were effective. Yeah, agreed. OK, it's time for the fight game. Um, last week, I just about avoided our fight game equivalent of the wordle few. <laughs> when I guess Michael Spinks, Larry Holmes won in four attempts. And now that I fully appreciate just how much added pressure and how annoying it is to say, oh, this will be easy, you'll get this, I won't do that to you anymore. I appreciate so, that. And and I'm yes. going to remove all pressure anyway by saying up front, daylight savings time, I lost an hour of sleep. I'm using that as a built-in excuse if I struggle. There you go. Exactly. All right. So we'll just get straight to it, shall we? Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> 
crack of the knuckles here? Okay. Are you sitting comfortably? Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Clue number one. This World Championship fight, scheduled for 15 rounds, took place at Madison Square Garden, although neither man was an American. Hmm. Neither American. Okay, so 15 rounds, so no later than the mid-80s. Championship fight. I guess that doesn't tell me too much. Madison Square Garden, so now I know the arena. Neither man was American. Um... Hmm, I'm trying to think of eras where, so like, all right, obviously had a lot of MSG fights and was not American. Did he have a big main event there against a fellow non-American fighter? I'm not sure if this fight was at the Garden, but it might have been. I'm going to throw it out there, and I feel like there is a non-zero chance that I'm nailing this in one. Is it... It is your turn to get it right and well. All right, all right. Um, so, uh, so uh, there will there will have been a bleep inserted. The uh, the listeners do not know what answer I just provided. Uh, so, uh, but I'm patting myself on the back and feeling good. And apparently, daylight savings time is my COVID. <laughs> um, so go ahead and uh, and re- reveal what the next four clues would have been. But uh, all of you listening, uh, whatever you're thinking right now, you are inferior to me on this one. <laughs> and I will say, by the way, I was very proud of myself for that first clue. I thought for an opening opening clue, it had everything. It like it gave the era roughly or at least when it wasn't mm-hmm. and the venue and it was a world time i thought you know what it's it's for a guy who started with his opening clues being this fight happened in a boxing <laughs> I, thought, I thought you know anyway anyway uh clue number two the right man surely won but the way in which he won was highly controversial Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, wonder, I, I, I do three. think I, I do think that would have gotten me a lot closer if I hadn't been on the right track. I probably that's okay. that's a good second clue. Okay. This one would have gotten you very very close. Uh, the loser entered the contest as the defending champion, but would never hold a title again. The winner, just 22 on the night, would become a Hall of Famer, an all-time great, and arguably the greatest fighter ever in this weight class. Okay. I really do. This you would have absolutely gotten it on clue four if you hadn't gotten it in three. Right. And I'm sure everybody else listening who hasn't gotten it yet will get it right with this one. The winner entered the contest 28 and 0. He would run his record to 71 and 1 before suffering a bizarre loss in a fight that is known by the two words he is said to have uttered at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's almost like a fifth clue level fourth clue right there. You're yeah. you're pretty much giving it all away. But the fifth clue is like fifth clue super duper plus. Um, every time I think of the other fighter, the loser would often say, my balls hurt. And it must indeed hurt when your totten trunks are punched by hands of stone. <laughs> Eric, let's know again what the fight is. So it was uh, Roberto Duran stopping Ken Buchanan at Madison Square Garden. In off the top of my head, I'm going to say, was it 1972? Correct. June 26, okay. 1972. Okay. It was KO 13. Is that right? I believe it was. I think it was classed as a 13 because it was right at the end of the 13th okay. that, he, that he walloped him. It was like literally at the bell that he walloped him or just after uh and i think 
it would count as a, he didn't come out Buchanan for the 14th, but I think it counted as a 13th round KO rather than a 14th round. Okay. Yes. And, 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 now, and now here's a question that our listeners will know the answer to uh, by the time they get to this point. But when I go back and insert the bleep, should I also bleep my dropping Roberto Duran's name even, you think, that, 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 that spare them from even hearing that? Uh, prior Have to the rest of the quiz and see how obvious like the, the dots are connected right. um right. maybe i yeah. was thinking that yeah maybe. i may, I may want to bleep out his name even uh but yeah. uh you listening will know when you get to this point uh where we're uh taking you uh behind the scenes of the thinking of the of the podcast you will know whether i bleeped all names and uh you were able to enjoy uh, the rest of the clues on spoiled but uh way to go me it's my day uh, <laughs> See, here's the here's the thing. Like I nailed it in one when I had COVID. You mm-hmm. nailed it in one when you have no sleep. Mm-hmm. And and clearly the lack of pressure of us saying to the other, "Oh, this is easy. You'll get right. this." Is like <laughs> a massive factor. Yes, we we should definitely stop doing that to each other. I, I think a moratorium on on creating that pressure, but definitely <laughs> going forward, we should always come in with some sort of physical health related excuse, and then we'll do just Which fine. Honestly, won't be hard. <laughs> Probably not, as we are washed. Washed indeed. Very, very uh, washed. Very, very washed. All right. Hey, look, we may be biased, but the way we see things, Showtime has been kicking proverbial butt on the boxing front so far in 2023. And the upcoming schedule gives us plenty more to look forward to. And this week's guest is a big part of that. Former three-way world titleist and now Showtime Championship Boxing expert analyst, our good friend Abner Morris. Abner, welcome back to the podcast and thank you so much for taking time for us on a busy weekend of broadcasting and traveling. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. No, when it comes to talking to, about boxing, I'm, I'm all with it. I'm ready. <laughs> we love that about you. So, so let's start with the uh, the fight that you called Saturday night, Tim Zhu's ninth round stoppage of Tony Harrison. Kieran and I already gave our thoughts on Zhu's performance and how it impacts our expectations right. for Zhu versus Charlo. What do you now make of Zoo Charlo? And and I'll note, you know, you're no longer sitting in the studio at the same desk as Jermel. You don't have to be sensitive to his feelings. How do you see, how do you see that fight going? You know what? I wasn't even sensitive, you know, in studio. I told Jermel, I'm, I'm surprised you weren't impressed by the performance from, from Sue. You know, I actually, I told him uh, because honestly, I was. I was, and this is the kind of fight that Sue needed in his resume and his record. A guy like Tony Harrison that's fought the likes of, you know, Jared Hurd, uh, Jermel Charlo twice. Uh, this guy was no pushover, speaking of uh, uh, Tony Harrison. And if you think about it, Tony Harrison gave all these three, the three defeats that he has were close fights. Fights that, you know, he started off really good and faded at the end. And in this fight against um, Tim Sue, it wasn't, it was totally the opposite. He started off good maybe in the first second round and that was it it was all Tim Sue after that the pressure the relentless pressure the precise and 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 what I kept talking about was was how Tim Sue was so poised so relaxed in there picking his shots really didn't seem like okay I gotta get this guy out now no he knew exactly that you know it was gonna come the time where it, it, it was just you know a matter of time really and he saw that. And once he saw that, you know, um, Tony Harrison was hurt, he went for the kill. And I was really impressed by Tim Sue's performance. Uh, again, uh, the distance he used, the uppercuts that we talked about in the inside. Uh, I didn't see much of body work this time. He is a great body snatcher, but he really didn't need to because uh, those headshots were just 
really demolishing Tony Harrison round by round. Right. So, I mean, it's still where the fight isn't even signed yet between Zoo and Charlo. They, they have right. some time. But at this point, do you have a leaning in, in who you would favor? Oh, man. You know, I really don't like to pick sides, but okay. um, but um, you know what? If you were talking about a Jamal Charlo that was acting, hmm. you know, you would say, yeah, of course, Jamal, 100%. But since he's been on active for so long and he, he confessed to us that, you know, he, he hasn't used his hand ever since the injury and he's just about to start hitting the bag, you know, working with it. I mean, it, it is going to be a process. You get me? So when he, if he does step in against a guy like Tim Sue, a young fighter, uh, it kind of gets equal. He kind of, you know, he goes to like, Oh, hold on. You know, you might be a little rusty and Tim Sue might be able to capitalize on that. So, uh, again, maybe because of the experience and the fighters that, I mean, uh, Jamal has fought, maybe, you know, he does have the edge. But at the end of the day, is who's been more active. And Tinsu has got the utmost uh, most confidence right now and, and his, you know, on his side. And, and he feels like, you know, he's ready for that. So, um, no sides, but I just know that uh, it will be a really entertaining matchup yeah. for sure. Um, this is probably a little bit of an inside baseball question, but it's it's really interesting to me. Like we saw you guys sitting at the desk in the right. studio when you were doing the on-camera stuff. I'm curious when you're calling the fight remotely, how are you doing that? Is there like a theater screen in front of you or are you watching on monitors? Are you sitting at the same desk? How did you do that on Saturday? Yeah, no, basically it was it was pretty cool because it's like pretty much what you guys were doing at home, watching it through a monitor, watching it through a TV. The only difference is that we had headsets like you do now. And just call the fight based on how it's going, how we're seeing it on live television. Uh, so, yeah, that's how we did it. A uh, new experience for me. Uh, a little different, obviously, because you don't get the feel, the the, the atmosphere, the, 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 the satisfaction of, you know, being there present. And, you know, it's a to- it changes, really, even as a, as a, as a person. You know, you, you absorb the energy that is, that is live at the moment. But, you know, we were able to, to adjust and, and, and do our, our thing. Yeah, I wonder. I was wondering, I was going to ask that about how different, like I know when I'm covering a fight, writing about it, it's, it's, it's just something inherently different. It's hard to explain, like being ringside. Right. It's like, you know, how when you're ringside, you can hear the punches land and, and you just yes. have much more of a sense of everything. And, and I was curious about how much more of a challenge that was for you or, or whether it wasn't really. You know what? It, it wasn't. Uh, and I'm surprised because I, I would, you know, I, who doesn't love to feel the energy, the vibe, the, the, the moment, you know, you hear people screaming. I mean, just the atmosphere, um, you connect right away. Uh, but no, I mean, really, we were just excited because it was that type of a fight. You know, like people at home, when they're watching the fight through the monitor, they're like, they get all hyped, start pushing the TV or, you know, jumping up and down. And really, that's, that's the type of uh, energy we had in, in studio uh, with my people, with my colleagues. Cool. Well, the uh, the big fights just keep coming on Showtime. Uh, the the yeah. bosses are going to keep you busy, Abner. Um, up next <laughs> in a couple of weeks, a genuine grudge match between David Benavidez and Caleb Plant should be a fascinating clash of styles. <laughs> um, but so far, nobody has quite found a way to cope with Benavidez's size and strength and punch output. You know, once right. he builds up ahead of steam, he's relentless. So so how does Plant or how does anyone really prepare for someone so strong and with such a unique style and 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 how can Caleb Plant win this fight you know what uh I think that the answer for that is it might be as as simple as really really simple as you know people might not even you know think about and 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 I think that uh Caleb Plant has it and and you know what it is is the mental 
the mental game. Mm. In this fight, he's letting uh, Benavides drain himself, really, and focusing so much on being the loud guy, being the uh, relentless, like, you know, bad blood, like, I hate you, I'm going to send you to a hospital, words that he used, you know, like, things like that. And Plant, you see him at press, press conference, you know, when he does interview, so calm, so relaxed, so poised, like, it is what it is. I'm training for this. You could be as fired up as you want to. And and I think that that plays a lot in, in a fight. If you think about it, if you use a lot of uh, mental strength, I mean, that tires you out also going into the fight. You could train for months, 12 months, whatever training camp, longest training camp you had. And, and, and being wanting to do so much inside of the ring. And I think that's what Benavidez is going to try to do. He's trying to he's going to try to prove and do what people are thinking that he's going to do, which is bully the the, the fight, the Caleb Plant, push him, be the big guy, and, and and he might start missing because let's not forget Caleb Plant is a great boxer. He uses mm-hmm. that ring really well. He's 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 a really good boxer, boxer puncher. He 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 uh he knows how to uh, use that jab well upstairs downstairs body work. So uh, I see Caleb Plant probably, you know, draining um, Benavides, you know, giving him the first couple of rounds. Yeah, miss a lot and then tire him out and, 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 and then jump on him. But again, you know, that's that's just me thinking, you know, if, if you know, Benavides were to, you know, use that game plan. And, and if not, I mean, <laughs> what really people are thinking that, that Benavides is just the monster, the Mexican monster that, <laughs> that, that uh, Mike Tyson, you know, proclaimed him. And right. uh, he, he has been proving that, you know, David Benavides, he's just a, he's, he's a beast inside the ring. And again, I just I just hope that, you know, he calms those nerves and that ex- excitement uh, leading up to a fight. And once it comes to, you know, the fight inside the ring, just, you know, go out there, focus and, and do your thing. But no, no doubt. Great fight. I mean, it's, it's just the bad blood between these guys. It's just it's real. Yes. Sometimes people are like figure like, all right, let's sell this fight. Let's to trash talk but no this is real this is they they this fight each other they hate each other and, i mean let's not lie that that excites us a little bit more you know when it comes to a fight like that did, did you did you ever have that did you ever have an opponent that you like genuinely like really hated no no never never <laughs> i mean I, was, I just never had someone trash talk like that or you know, and just they, they have their history. They, you know, these two right. have their history, obviously. Benavidez going to Plant's gym and calling him out. I think Benavidez got a punch in, into his brother's face. And, you know, whatnot. It's like, there's a lot, you know, trash talk. Uh, the father, Benavidez's father getting in, in, in between and, and, and talking, you know, about the family of Plant. And it's just, you know, it's bad. Once you talk about the family, once you get really intimate and, and, and personal, it's, it's, it's all bad. <laughs> right. So, you know, you know this fight is going to be exciting yeah two guys who i don't think hate each other but i don't think like each other are Devante davis and ryan garcia <laughs> uh, and we had the official kickoff of their fight it feels to me this yeah. is another clash of styles it, like it's like ryan's hand speed and reach against Javante's skills and power how do you see that right now as being the keys to victory for each guy you know what i, I was it's funny because i was thinking of that fight on the way home over here, I actually kind of dreamt about the fight. I was dreaming about the fight. And what I was dreaming about it is because, um, is that, you know, a lot of people know well, what we've seen in the past from Tank Davis, that he's a slow starter, right? He starts off really slow. He gets hit a bit in the, few, uh, the first few rounds. And, and we know that uh, Ryan Garcia is so explosive early on. He comes in blazing, you know, fast speed, power shots in the beginning of the first rounds. 
So, I mean, I think that's that's Ryan's advantage right there. Uh, and, and Tank Davis is just a powerful puncher also. You know, he can take you out any given moment. And so is Ryan. So, I mean, it's just one of those fights that, you know, you just don't know. It's just that whoever makes the first mistake is really going to pay dearly. Uh, the styles fit perfectly. Too young, talented, in their prime. I mean, oh, my God. We, we really haven't seen, seen a matchup like this since, I don't know, early 90s, <laughs> late 80s. Really, like before when, like, the, like the, the best had to fight the best. You know, and you don't see that now in boxing. People usually wait until an opponent fades out. Uh, I think that's what's happening, unfortunately. And I hate to say it, you know, uh, Crawford against um, Errol Spence. I mean, let's get these fights going. You know, let's let's make the, the, the people happy. We want these fights. And thank God we have that with Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. Young fighters, talented uh, undefeated in their prime and, and, you know, someone's always got to go and, and it's not going to be beautiful. It's going to be a brutal knockout. I, I see it. I don't see this fight going the distance. I just, I can't, it's, it's too much power on both, both ends where, um, it's, they're both vulnerable to get hit and eventually go down. Obviously, in, in your role with Showtime, you have to analyze a whole bunch of fights, but do you get extra amped when it's a fight like this in and around your weight class and when one of the guys you were going to fight one of them and, and yeah. if it hadn't been for injury? So do you get extra amped for this kind of fight? I do. I am, <laughs> and at the same time, a little depressed because, man, that could have been me. <laughs> I could still be fighting right now. But no, 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 really not depressed, but just like, you know, happy for them and obviously yes amped is the word um uh, excited for both of them and like you said you know i was going to fight tank davis once upon a time uh early in his career when where when and where i thought he was still not mature enough mentally he wasn't training good and i thought i was going to be able to expose tank at the time obviously he's going now it's been what four five six years since he's really matured he's really um um progressed his style and really changed his whole lifestyle he's a he's a hungrier fighter now he's got a lot to prove and now on the other hand on the other end with ryan garcia believe it or not they actually offered me to fight him uh when they uh this what a couple of months ago when when tank took his tuna fight <laughs> they picked up the phone and they called Amber. hey Amber, you want wow. to be that tuna fight for ryan <laughs> And I was like, yeah, no, but <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, it's, it's it's a crazy story. I said, you know, no, um, I'm really not at that position right now where you know I, I can't take those risky fights, and um, you know, so that's a good story. But no, I didn't end up fighting him, and you know, here we go, here we got you know two of the best young fighters fighting each other, and um, you know, me as a guy that you know has seen him grow, almost fought both of them, <laughs> you know, couldn't be any more excited. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Well, there is one uh, literally massive fight that is not on Showtime that, that we have to ask you about. Uh, Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, which appears to be getting close to being agreed to. Um, Usyk granted pretty much all of Fury's requests, 70-30 uh, per split for Tyson, the fight probably being in London, which su suggests to me that Usyk really wants it and, and is presumably confident right. of victory. But, you know, as skilled as he is, He's, he's given away a lot here. What, what chance does he have to upend a guy who is probably just as skilled as he is and, and, and a giant as well? Right. Uh, you know what? I, I don't blame Uzik, obviously, for feeling and, and, and yeah, feeling confident because, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, he's coming from beating Anthony Joshua. How he did it, 
you know, um, he, he's really in this moment right now. Uh, but you just said it. I think Tyson Fury is just a different breed, a different animal, a guy that really is Usyk, but two times bigger. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, he does the same thing. Great boxer, great counter, counter puncher. He can brawl as well if he gets in the inside. I mean, Tyson Fury can do it all inside of that ring. So um, uh, it's his chances really are, you know, you know, getting being lucky, like, you know, uh, you know, in a heavyweight fight, you know, it just takes one punch. That's right. all I got to say. It takes one punch to change the whole momentum of the fight, the whole fight. So, I mean, I think that Uzik, if he's able to, you know, land a good shot and and um, and and hurt Tyson Fury, you know, that's his only chance. Other than that, I mean, I just, you know, I'm just being honest here. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's interesting that, um, you know, most people would 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 say if Usyk is going to have a chance, it's with his boxing skill and maybe he can just avoid getting hit clean for 12 rounds and really use his skills. Although obviously Fury has, has great skills too, but so, so that would surprise you more. You, you would be less surprised if if Usyk landed a big shot and, and actually stopped to Fury or at least hurt Fury than to see him like box a perfect boxing match for 12 rounds. How do you see a boxer outboxing the boxer? Right. You know, it's hard. <laughs> and, and, and Tyson Fury is a great boxer. He, he knows how to use that ring really well. Um, great jab, you know, and he's got the three times the size as Uzik. So uh, I just don't see he can try, but I think his best chances are trying to get inside, which Tyson Fury will, will, will let you in at moments, you know, um, and, and, you know, take advantage of that momentum, that moment right there. So I think it's it's just going to be a if he's able to land a good shot and and hurt Tyson Fury, I T- think T- that's that's his only chance. Tyson Fury has been growing over the course of this conversation. He was two times the size of Usyk you said earlier, and then you just said three times. By fight night, he's going to be like six times bigger. I thought about. It, I'm like, wait a minute, no, this guy's big. He's a big guy. <laughs> And see, um, the difference is that Anthony Joshua didn't use the size, you know, in this right. fight. He right. didn't. He wasn't able to. He didn't know how. When he did, he had he had his moments. Uh, he, he And he looked great. But, you know, again, he went back into reaching, staying in the pocket. And, you know, that's all Uzik. And then Uzik actually was the one that boxed uh, Anthony Joshua towards the end. So, I mean, it's, um, it's one of those fights. But I think that, again, you know, Tyson Fury is just – uh, you know, a full package. Yeah. Um, so to finish, wanted to ask you about you. We, you talked about a fight you didn't take. Um, right. We saw you in the ring last year for the first time in years. What are you thinking about yourself inside the ring? Are you are you still want to do some more inside the ring? Are you pretty happy with uh, sitting ringside and watching? Uh, I'm really comfortable sitting ringside. <laughs> I'm really comfortable sitting ringside. Oh my god. Um, it's it, it's it's a lot. It's a it's a beautiful thing seeing guys getting punched and not being the guy getting punched, you know? <laughs> and, and it, it was quite the experience, obviously coming back after four years and a half, getting back in the ring, like last September, last year. Um, I honestly, I didn't feel as bad. Thank God, you know, for four years and a half, I didn't think I looked at, you know, too bad, uh, too bad out of shape or timing, but um, I don't know, man, I'm still giving it thought. I think I'm going to make my decision within the next, couple of months and um you know it's either you'll hear about my retirement officially or you know a possible you know comeback fight but uh i'm leaning more towards the re- retirement right now and uh you know i'm comfortable i'm happy I'm, I'm 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 well healthy and you know i got a beautiful family that i gotta look after 
So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those tough decisions that you got to make now. I'm 37 years old, so I'm not getting any younger. Had a terrific career, man. I mean, yeah. you got nothing. I mean, you got a lot to look back on, and uh, you've done great in the ring. If that is it, and you've got a great future, so you know, it's you're in the perfect position if you do decide to hang. And and I was just about to add that uh, you don't look 37 for what it's worth. Yeah, thank you. Uh, when you when you thank said you. 37, I was surprised. They're growing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to tell us about that, you know. <laughs> I'll believe you. Okay, there. Uh, but thank you, thank you, guys. Uh, um, you know, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for for you know your time. And uh, it's always great calling fights with you guys, talking about fights, uh, upcoming great fights. I mean, they're not just regular fights; they're great fights that we have. Great lineup on Showtime, and uh, I couldn't be any more thrilled or happy, excited to be part of it. I'm I'm really part of history right now. And that's all I think about. And I talk to my kids. I talk to my wife. I can't believe that I'm still in the circle. I'm still in, in boxing, you know, in, in a way. And, and, and with these great matchups, I mean, we're talking about Ryan Garcia. This, this is going to be a one for the books. You know, Benavides, Caleb Plant, uh, depending on how it ends, is going to be a – could be possibly fight of the year. You know, um, all these great matchups that, that uh, we just spoke about, I'm, you know, being part of them, I'm just couldn't be any more grateful and, and happy. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to And the one other thing we all have to do together still is get some beer and tacos at Don Chante's, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, whenever you guys are in town, man, let me know. Grab some beer and talk about more boxing. <laughs> oh, or so perhaps hey, thanks talk a lot. about the retirement. Salute, my There you go. <laughs> there you go. I would, I would drink to that when the time comes, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. But, hey, thank you, buddy. We really appreciate it. And I know it's been a really busy weekend with broadcasting and traveling, so thank you for making the time for us, man. No problem. Always a good time. All right. Our thanks again to Abner. Always great talking to him. Uh, We end the show with the reveal of Kieran's top five challenge for next week. I haven't given you too many of the historical type lists, at least not recently, uh, but I shall make such an assignment this time in recognition of legal online sports betting launching this past Friday in Massachusetts, in recognition of you going to a fight card in Boston this week, and in recognition of you living in Vermont and having experience living in England's old and new, um, I'm steer- stealing your top five Louisiana boxers of all time concept and spinning off it to blow six potential future top five list ideas all at once. Uh, Kieran, you must rank the all time <laughs> top five boxers from New England. So born and or raised in Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, or Connecticut. Uh, I will let you know there are lists out there on the internet that'll make this easier. And also, there are at least five Hall of Famers from New England, so you won't have to dig too deep to come up with five, although a a bit of digging may help fill out your honorable mentions. Uh, As is often the case, the trick will be figuring out the right order, especially when some people on your list may have fought like 100 years apart. It won't be too easy to compare them, uh, but that is the assignment. What do you think? Uh, that sounds very doable. Um, I have one slight question, and you'll know exactly w- which fighter I'm referring to. I'm sure, in that, like, at what point in their lives, uh, if they were born outside of New England, are they allowed to have moved to New England to count? If you know. Oh yes. I mean. uh, you know what? I hadn't even thought about this, but now I know who you're talking about. I think I think that this person would count if they were okay. New England based throughout their career and are, are directly closely associated with new England. I, I, th- I think that's good enough. Not someone who just kind of passed through and lived there for a couple of years, but uh, the person you're thinking of that I'm thinking of, yeah, he qualifies.
Okay. All right. All right. Fantastic. Good. Um, yeah, I think actually, is it Bob Trigger actually even wrote a book about Best New England Box? Maybe I'll just go and buy that. No. Yeah. <laughs> He did, and I, I, I only know this because I was doing the pre-Google searching to see if what lists were out there and, and how uh, how much help you would be able to find on the internet, and that book came up, and apparently it ranks the top 25 boxers from New England. So uh, you may use it as a resource. I hope you won't just steal his list uh, directly, oh, but <laughs> you would never do such a thing. No, that would be outrageous. Detloff wouldn't steal his list. Well... We'll find out. Maybe <laughs> yes, we, we will. He's the one who'll be here next week. <laughs> really? um, that will do it for both of us this week. Um, next week, Eric and Bell will have an in-depth <laughs> preview of the March 25th David Benavidez Caleb Plant pay-per-view. And don't miss All Access uh, Benavidez Plant, which is now available on all Showtime streaming and digital channels. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.